What, Ben? What's that? Some motherfucker's always trying to ice skate uphill. Oh, Mr. Mr. Blade, what a mouth on you. Yeah, we're big Blade fans, right? Yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of Blade. How did that actually, how did that start? Tell us more. Uh, well, I was a fan of vampires in general. I have a weird thing where I basically will watch anything that has a vampire in it, no matter how bad. Not that Blade is bad, but uh, I think that uh, sometime in high school, we started watching, we watched Blade for the first time, and I'm sure that I've watched it at least once a year since then. <laughs> yeah, it kind of became a thing in high school. Yeah. And, and then, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, Steven Dorff turning into a raspberry, what, what could possibly be better? Indeed, indeed. Uh, and I think that I've enjoyed um, the entire Blade series, frankly. Ah, because I was specifically going to ask you about Blade 2. Blade 2 starring Ron Perlman as a uh, rival vampire and also featuring vampires that eat vampires. Yeah, so this is a Guillermo del... Tr- Guillermo... William of the Bull. It's a William of the Bull joint. <laughs> Yes. And uh, we have, it's got vampires that eat vampires. It's got Blade jamming some matter, some kind of explosive device into the back of Ron Perlman's head. It's got all kinds of good stuff. Oh, you know what always sticks out to me from Blade 2? Yeah. Is the scene where they like, where the, I think his name is Priest, the guy who's in the, are they called the Blood Gang? (laughs) Uh, I think it's the Blood Pack. Okay. Either, okay. The blood pack, the blood gang. Uh, in any case, the good, old, uh, the good old blood boys, I think is their right. name. <laughs> they have a, uh, a member named priest who has long red hair. And then he turns into uh, one of the uh, vampire eating vampires and they like hack him up. And then there's this scene where like a quarter of his head is just sitting on the ground and his eye is blinking for some reason. Well, I suppose because it's graphic, that uh, that image always sticks with me when I think about Blade Two. Uh, the the whole like sticking the explosive device on the back of Ron Perlman's head is the one that always sticks out for me. Um, but and also, I think it uh, that also movie includes Skeet Ulrich, if I'm not uh, if I'm not mistaken, as like the sort of the the cue of the of blades gang like coming up with a bunch of um gadgets and stuff so i know the name skeet ulrich but i can't think of like who that might be i mean i know exactly who you're talking about yeah he's the uh yeah he's he's kind of cue but he's also he's basically the new um He's the uh, new Chris Christopherson. Right, because Chris Christopherson in Blade 2, as everybody knows, has been um has been killed in Blade 1 and is is no longer with the team. Um and well he doesn't get killed. Well, I mean like don't spoil it for people who haven't seen Blade 2. Oh, okay, fine. All right. It spoiler alert retroactive if you haven't seen Blade 2, don't don't listen to that. Anyway, uh, the thing about Blade 2 is that it is, um, th- like, the basic premise of Blade 2 is that they've just escalated the vampire threat. Like, it's not that much different of a movie of Blade 1. It's just, like, 
oh, well, now they're super vampires and sort of right. like they just sort of roll from there. <laughs> yeah. And, and it does allow Blade to team up and fight with vampires, which is pretty cool. Right. It's just a lot more action, a lot more, uh, a lot more fighting. And I think, though, the idea of a super vampire kind of ties nicely into the episode of Adventure Time we're going to talk about first tonight. It's almost like I didn't come up with that Blade 2 reference out of thin air. Uh, we we are going to talk about an episode that uh, who knows what came out first, Blade Two or or this. I I think it's probably Blade Two because that was that came out when we were in college. I know I watched a lot of it in college because I was a super cool guy who watched a lot of like Blade Two and Spinal Tap on Friday and Saturday nights and drank Franzia. Yeah, yeah, that's a good time right there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, so let's talk about From Bad to Worse, which is the first episode that we watched for this episode of... By the way, folks, you're listening to Podventure Time. I'm Pat. That's Ben. I have seen every episode. Ben is watching the show for the first time, and we are trying to figure out whether he is a fan. So, Ben, tell us about From Bad to Worse. From Bad to Worse is a revisiting of a plot device that we saw in the very first episode of Adventure Time. The, uh, the idea that the Candy Kingdom is under attack by zombies, and the zombies were inadvertently created by Princess Bubblegum once again through her science. Yeah. So tell me more about that science, because I, I have some serious ethical concerns with, with what she's doing. Yeah. Princess Bubblegum plays, I would say, fast and loose with the laws of life and death. I don't think that she sees herself as particularly bound by those ethical limitations. Uh, Do you think she even thinks about them? I don't think so. I think it is one of those, like, uh, I think in in a different context, Princess Bubblegum could be like a super villain. You know, like, you know, like she Mm -hmm. has no real qualms about creating life, destroying life, uh, as long as it's in the pursuit of, you know, scientific advancement like that is unless she's, you know, she seems to be held in check by a very sweet disposition and some other moral compasses. But like in this regard, like if that if those were removed, I think that Princess Bubblegum would turn into a supervillain. Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, it could easily be the tyrant queen of the right. Candy Kingdom. Exactly. But, you know, she has, at the very least, uh, even if we're not going to take her to task over her moral uh, moral failings, she should at least get a talking to for lab safety and security. Because this all, Seriously. St- this all starts because she is just sort of messing around and, ex- and experimenting with a... A piece of zombie flesh. Not even sure where she got it from. Maybe from the last time that the zombies attacked. Yeah, I think she said that she saved it. Oh, great. Good idea. Uh, Yeah. Well, she's just got it sitting out on a table, unsecure. That really should have been in the CDC. Yeah, exactly. And then then she just allows any old person to wander into her lab, including Cinnamon Bun, who might be the... the at least the the stupidest person in the in the candy kingdom i mean he's certainly sweet but he doesn't have a lot going on in the brains category and he just wanders on in and she admittedly says i shouldn't have turned my back on him because, <laughs> because i guess because i guess it's like a toddler he'll just put anything in his mouth i suppose so he does he just eats a piece of zombie flesh the uh expected result happens and we have ourselves another zombie outbreak in the Candy Kingdom. Yeah, Princess Bubblegum manages to flee and uh, meet up with Lady Rainicorn, Finn and Jake, and LSP inside of the castle. And they're trying to board up the windows again. They're going to maybe play a game of Blockado, but something goes awry. 
Right. This time, uh, instead of being able to block up the windows in time, Princess Bubblegum is taken by the zombies and she is zombified before yeah. she, before she goes i mean this is actually pretty traumatizing to see for finn for sure um but before she is f- taken she tries to relay the information that the group will need to reverse the zombie curse um and she says um some something i can't remember the exact phrase but the general idea is um trust science to fix right. it yeah, let science do the work. Let science do the work. And she's got some notes that she kind of like some of her lab notes that she like tosses to them or, or drops as she's being dragged out of the window by the zombies. But then she's gone. She's a zombie at that point. She is no longer an asset to the team. And from here on out, I would classify this episode as a puzzle for the rest okay. of the team. Like this is in the classic in the role playing sense of things like this whole episode is a puzzle you're basically trying to the puzzle being like if you can figure out um the answer to this riddle or clue that was left by princess bubblegum let science do the work then you will um that you will eliminate the threat and the threat being the zombies yeah i see uh i see exactly what you're getting at there's um sort of cryptic instructions that they're trying to follow mm-hmm. and then the uh solution winds up requiring them to think outside the box exactly which i think you see a lot in in role-playing games yeah this is like i mean it's there's tons of variations on this but certainly this fits the mold of a puzzle room or a puzzle dungeon and right. and i think that like that's that's cool that like we know that this whole show we've 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 seen interviews and we know from you know past chats we've had that this whole show is sort of based off of uh, the creators and the writers' idea of just like, hey, what kind of uh, role-playing games or role-playing um, adventures would we like to do together? And let's just write them into a show, basically, or turn them mm-hmm. into a show. So, like, this totally fits in that world. And but, like, just like we said, this, they're not just going to rehash the zombie problem. Uh, verbatim from the first episode they've they've raised the stakes a la blade two um so what so tell me what you thought when pb got zombified i mean you said it was traumatic for finn but honestly it was a little traumatic for me so i mean it is in one sense i thought yeah wow like well they're going with this they are they are taking out a main character um sort of um game of thrones style (laughs) yeah it was very sudden and uh, don't don't fall in love with any character because George R. R. Martin will kill him off. Lickety split. This is similar. <laughs> and or at least don't post about your love on the internet. Yeah, exactly. So the I don't know. I I I watched it. I was a little detached from it. I will admit. I thought that. I mean, I was like, ooh, wow. Let's see what they do with this. I found it as more of like, oh, this is an interesting plot development. I don't think I was ever worried that Princess Bubblegum would be permanently zombified because she's too integral yeah. of a character. But I thought it was like a cool way to um, to do an episode. And, you know, frankly, PB is a huge asset and sometimes a crutch for Finn and mm-hmm. Jake in terms of solving a puzzle or in terms of solving a problem. So to remove that element, I think, is a cool, um, a cool mechanic, a cool device. Yeah. The reason that I think it was a little traumatic for me is it's it's so sudden, it's a bit of a surprise, and then I just kind of I think I've talked about this before. I, I'm I'm scared of things that like take away your free will sort of. Like the Borg is very, very frightening to me. And so to oh, see yeah. to see Princess Bubblegum get 
you know, zombified before our very eyes to where she's no longer really herself. Um, I didn't like that. I, you know, I didn't really doubt that she was going to come back either, but it definitely raised the stakes. And I think the episode was much, much better because the stakes seemed so high. Indeed. Um, And they do not stop there, that's for sure. Um, I think as they move on, what happens is uh, Finn and Jake and Lady Rainicorn and who am I forgetting? Oh, LSP, of course, are left to interpret those final words, let science do the work, and they leap at their first clue, which is the notes that she left. Now, they have notes for a formula, and uh, ostensibly, I think they kind of, they kind of um, determine that the formula that is on these notes must be some sort of, I think, uh, antidote to zombie, yes. zombiedom. And so they, but they all admittedly have no expertise in science. And so they just kind of take a crack at it, each of them. <laughs> yeah, they each take it. They decide, you know, let's each do our own interpretation of what this formula says, sort of jazz style, jazz <laughs> science. And, we, you know, the four formulas are better than one. Like there's a better chance that one of them is the right formula than if they all just work on one. Which has a certain amount of logic to it. This is this is what I would say is um, in the role playing style. This is what would be called the brute force solution. Sure. This is let's let's see if we can just force our way through the puzzle by force of will or force of strength or something like that, and we'll just see if or a little gray box that will crack your iPhone. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we will just go ahead and see what happens if we just uh, wing it. And so they do. They all we get a nice science montage of them uh, pouring things into other things and bu- right. bubble changing colors, bubbly potions. Um, there is a great um, sequence in the Mystery Science Theater movie, the one that they did that like actually got released in theaters, and uh-huh. where uh, they are they're watching some old movie that also does has some sort of science element to it and. There's a montage, and then they just do these like sound effects during it, and it kind of goes like, like, and then they do the over the uh, the voiceover of like science, men <laughs> building things and cranking things, like just sort of that '50s style uh, voiceover. And uh, I, whenever I see these kind of montages in the back of my head, that's what's going in through me. Yes, and this is clearly not any kind of careful science. No. They they seem to be winging it, and they also have not thought through the potential consequences to making uh, a number of different formulas that they are then going to give to slash pour on slash force feed to the zombies. Right, like they do not take it. They do not think that there could be a downside to. F- creating a random formula so right it's like we're either going to create the antidote for zombism i like that word zombism i like that too (laughs) we're we're either going to create the 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 cure for zombism or else nothing's going to happen they don't consider the fact that mixing dangerous chemicals that have some sort of effect on zombies might have unintended consequences and boy do they yeah there's only a positive or a neutral outcome those are the only possibilities 
Uh, right. There is, uh, yeah, so Finn uh, goes first. They have their four formulas. Finn goes first with gusto. I think he shouts, I'm coming for you, PB, and runs to the window where there are zombies sort of clamoring at the window. And he just dumps his portion on one of them. And the the zombie does not revert to its normal state. The zombie sort of not at sort all. of shakes and shimmies, and then out of the back of the zombie poke two wings. Oh, oh, mama! Now you've got flying zombies. Uh, there's also a. Uh, I wanted to say this reminded me there is some some um, part of the Tremors series. <laughs> where all of a sudden there are flying tremors, which I thought I was sort of like, I mean, come on, like the whole thing about tremors is that they are underground, and if you're gonna all of us, yeah. if you're all of a sudden gonna make them fly, like you've completely changed the the species and you've taken away like their one weakness, basically. Yeah, I, I would venture to say that flying tremor is a contradiction in terms. Yeah. So, uh, anywho, equally equally frightening are flying zombies and. I believe uh, I always forget the the donut with the bushy mustache. Uh, oh, starchy, starchy, <laughs> starchy is uh, similarly uh, thought that he was he was safe from these uh, tremor zombies, the one these these ground based zombies, because he's at the top of like a of his house or somewhere. He's he's up high on a wall. And Stachy's way up here. Yeah, but he uh, he is then felled by the flying zombies. So Finn's potion has raised the stakes yet again. Now we have flying zombies and who bite other zombies. And now all of a sudden we've kind of got Blade 2 on our hands. Right. They bite other zombies, which turns them into super zombies. And now we've got a bigger problem. So we've got flying zombies. And next we're going to test lsp's potion she's very eager to test it because hers is the prettiest so she's convinced it's going to work yeah and so she goes out and she splashes it on the flying zombies and once again uh not a positive effect not a neutral effect they well i actually i might call this a neutral effect but um sure it it does have negative consequences Uh, (laughs) although it's a stretch to say that this itself has negative consequences i would say there are a few choices by pb (laughs) or by lsp in there before uh before any negative consequences happen yeah the result of lsp's formula is that the zombies uh that that receive the potion uh all of a sudden sprout full luscious kissable lips Gorgeous. Gorgeous lips. And that in itself shouldn't really be a problem, except LSP, uh, it triggers her vanity in a big way. Precisely. All of a a sudden, uh, she is jealous of the zombies for their giant lips, and she has to have them. She's going to go get her some of that. Yeah, so she sees that some of the formula has spilled all the way down to the ground, and so she's going to go lap that up um, and get herself some full, luscious lips. And she does. And she does. She does get full, uh, luscious lips. Although they're lumpy. Did you notice that they were lumpy? Yeah, but I don't think she... I think that's just like she... That's just how they manifest on her body, and I don't think she's actually that upset she actually seems quite happy with them yeah i just thought it was great that they went ahead and gave lumpy space princess lumpy lips and so uh but the problem is she has exposed herself she has gone outside outside of the castle no no protection and 
the expected happens. She is uh, overtaken by the zombies. She does not have long to enjoy her luscious lips before she is zombified herself. Right. So, so now we've removed them. Uh, we've removed that from the uh, her from the team as well. Stakes raised. Now we have luscious lipped flying zombies, and the gang. The remaining gang is forced to make a strategic retreat higher up into the castle, up into the tower lab where PB had been doing her experiments previously. I think prior to heading up to the lab, they try to use Jake and Lady Rainicorn's formula. Oh, is that? Yeah, I guess that is true. And and uh, and that one makes them all buff, right? Yeah, they grow like super big, muscly arms. <laughs> yeah, right. They get super strong. So now you've got super strong flying zombies. I mean, it's just an it's a hilarious escalation of of zombie powers. Yes, all all meant to just sort of drive home the point that uh, this initial plan of let's wing it and make some formulas of our own uh, is is not working. Yeah, their formula as well up producing winged luscious lipped buff zombies right um they are driven into the lab they bar the door and uh before they get in there or, or maybe right after uh jake is also bitten yeah there's a uh, a candy cane zombie hiding in like a locker in the lab and it's right. it, i thought that this was one of the great kind of classic uh zombie tropes where you know there's almost always a character who like just gets a little bite <laughs> right and either doesn't tell anyone or just like starts to slowly change and uh in fact that's exactly what happens to jake he says i think i should be fine it's just a little bite but then his hand starts to uh sort of uh necrosize i'm gonna make yeah. that a verb I was going to say necrify. I'm going to, I'm going to allow it. Yeah. Necrosize is just fine with me. And the, so Jake, Jake is able to stave off a bit, um, because of his stretching power. He can basically, uh, he just sort of stretches his body away from the part of his hand that is turning into a zombie. And he basically says like, as long as I stay away, as long as I can keep ahead of this thing, like, I can stretch for hours, or I can stretch forever. Yeah, he tells Lady Rainicorn, don't worry, I can stretch forever, but he, he seems to be belied, that seems to be belied by the fact that he tells Finn to hurry up with the dog on uh, Antidote. Yeah, and I think we've actually seen in one of the other episodes, maybe with the hot dog nights, that yes. uh, there is a limit to his stretching powers. Yeah, they try to get him to stretch all the way through that maze, and yeah. he's real thin and weak by the time they get to where they're going so it, it yeah does. he's not he's not going to be able to stretch forever but for right now by running in circles around the room and stretching his arm he's able to keep the zombie necrosis from encroaching upon uh his body or brain yeah um and all the while uh finn is now trying to take a new approach because they don't have any more formulas so now they've got to try a new approach to solving the problem um finn is frantically thinking and jake actually mentions hey why don't you go look at those books over by the lab rat mm. and, and finn says sure i'll do that and he looks and he says oh this is great uh there is a glossary of symbols in this book so so now well, we might actually have some idea what we're doing <laughs> right and you know i think you know the uh the the issue is clear that like while this actually may be a valid strategy um the time required to translate a bunch of scientific symbols into something that you understand is likely not the time is likely not there for you. It's not yes. on your side. So while this plan may be in the absence of like a ticking time bomb that these zombies represent, um, this would have worked. But um, Finn is not 
uh, is not going to is is not going to make it this way. Although he does certainly attempt it, but the the stakes are raised again when uh, Jake is unable finally to outrun his zombifying arm, and they have to lock him in the uh, in the the science shower. I think yes. is called, what it's called. Yes, um, and you know it's the it's the whole like it's the it's the shower that you wash off chemicals when you get like sprayed with so you avoid chemical burns. I think. Um, I agree. And they, and they lock him in there, and Lady Rainicorn is is standing guard. And uh, unfortunately, Lady Rainicorn, her love for Jake cannot uh, cannot be swayed, and she uh, opens the door once eventually. <laughs> I really like when Finn says he may look like the Jake who once loved you. <laughs> yeah, um, and he's just yeah, and there is a funny uh, interchange where Jake the zombie is just sort of like moaning and drooling, looking into Lady Rainicorn's eyes, and Lady Rainicorn <laughs> softens like that. Even that gruesome gaze is uh, is enough to remind her of the dog she once loved. <laughs> so she so she opens up that door, and the again the expected happens. She is bitten and. Now Finn is all alone. He's got some chemicals. He's got a cart. He's got mm-hmm. maybe a couple books, and he's got a candy corn rat. He's got no time. He's got this lab rat uh, made of candy corn, right in the room. And this is where he has to use. Uh, I think in in a role playing game, he would need to use his perception uh-huh. uh, to figure out what else does he what clues does he have like how can he put the piece does he have the pieces it feels like he might but he can't quite put them together and all the while this lab rat has been making a lot of gesticulations and trying to get yeah, his they attention seem to think that the rat can dance <laughs> and finally he finally pays attention to this rat and the rat is not just gesticulating randomly he is actually pointing at a sign on the side of his cage and finally, Finn sees that this rat's name is Science. And now, thinking outside the box, he thinks back to what PB told him. Let Science do the work. Mm. So he takes a leap of faith, lets the rat out of his cage, and lo and behold, the rat knows how to do the formula. He has been watching PB uh, do the formula, and this is a hyper-intelligent rat, and it, all that all that Finn needed to do was allow this rat to sort of just like point him towards the right formulas, the right uh, ingredients, and Finn just has to be the one to mix them. And right. so they lock themselves back in the science shower now that Jake is out of there, and time is running out. And they do get the formula made, but by this point, the room is overrun with zombies, and there is uh, seemingly no escape. This actually reminded me of, again, like zombie tropes. This is like the final scene in um, that Will Smith one, uh, I Am Legend. Uh, he is trapped in his own lab, trying to frantically come up with a antidote for zombieism as the zombies are crashing into the room. He even gets trapped like behind a piece of glass. Uh, <laughs> while the zombies are trying to break through. And I won't spoil that movie for people who haven't seen it, but uh, in, in our episode of Adventure Time, he does have the antidote, and he only has one way to deliver it. And he says to the, the mouse, uh, the rat, uh, hold on, or hold on, I've got a disgusting idea. <laughs> and he dumps it all over himself and throws himself 
uh, at the zombies as they burst through the glass and they overtake him. And you hear this like blood curdling scream, frankly, as Finn is overtaken by zombies and it fades. The scene fades to black. Yeah. They start to bite him. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen? We fade back in on the candy kingdom on a very uh, calm day. The birds are singing, and we quickly see that all of the all the members of the Candy Kingdom have returned to themselves, and they're all standing around, sort of apologizing to one another for biting each other. <laughs> no and hard feelings. No hard feelings. And and PB is there, and she announces, uh, "Okay, everybody, the royal day of apologizing is officially over, <laughs> and now it's time to award a medal uh, to our hero." And they do a real good uh, classic gag of uh, Finn the human. And he says, yes. And she goes, please move out of the way so I can bestow <laughs> the medal on science, the rat. And that's basically the end of the episode. Yep. Um, science is our hero. Science is the hero. Science has saved the day. Um, so the puzzle was solved. The clue of let science do the work was, was the key all along. And uh Yeah. I was going to ask, have you ever done an escape room? Especially- I have not, no. I, I don't think I would do too well. I get pretty claustrophobic. So okay. if I could do it by myself in a normal-sized room, maybe, but other folks in the room trapped with me, I, I'm not sure I would come out of that re- looking very good. All right. Because I know there is a variant of the escape room that is zombie-related, where there's like a zombie in the room oh with my. you. Yeah, and it's one of those things where like, the zombies on a chain and every certain amount of time the chain lengthens and huh. if you get if you get touched by the zombie then uh you're become a zombie and you are then like removed from the team so sort of like the longer you take the more likely it is that you have left less uh mental resources to solve the puzzle kind of thing yeah. um and uh i've never done that variant but uh seems stressful oh definitely uh, fortunately, even though he get, was down to his final team member, uh, Jake or Finn, rather, there it is. There's my f- switch of the episode. <laughs> uh, Finn uh, saves the day, or, or rather, he uh, he solves the puzzle. I would say, and yes. then and then the puzzle sort of solves itself at that point. Yes, he facilitates the saving of the day by science the rat. Right. Yeah. So I thought fun episode. I you know a little puzzle episode is nice, and one that uh, just was you know cute i thought yep yep and i also liked all the zombie stuff i thought it had a lot of good uh zombie tropes in it but yeah the zombie jokes were good and especially just like each time that the uh the zombies leveled up into a a more super race of zombie uh in it was was very funny well done yeah so i like that episode but uh i think that our the second one we're going to talk about tonight it's called butopia and uh that one has a little bit more weight to it yeah, a little more implications for world building. So um, this episode is one that sees the return of a character from a, from a few episodes ago, Susan Strong. And the episode is uh, focused around Finn and Jake being asked to go help the the humans. I don't know. How do they say their Human, race? Human, yeah, something like that. Humans. Um, yeah, so... Uh, it opens in the treehouse, uh, and Finn and Jake are messing around. <laughs> and I can't remember even how that happened. What the, what they're doing? They, Jake so is like pin, Jake's Jake like is pinning putting, him. 
Yeah, so Jake is putting a kettle on the stove and he says, what kind of coffee do you want? And Finn says, hazelnut, hazelnut. And then Finn starts making a joke about, what if your name was Zolnut? And then I could just say, hey, Zolnut. <laughs> and uh, Jake doesn't like the joke or, you know, thinks it's too much of a dad joke or something. And that's when he pins Finn, which is Susan Strong's cue to break through the the wall and demand that that Finn and Jake help her. So we, we get thrust into this with into this sort of uh, rescue scenario. Susan Strong says he, they, she needs their, uh, their hero heart to come save the humans. And also to they need the red flower that, yes. uh, that Finn possesses, and which is a very Jungle Book way of saying fire. Right. Um, and we should add that all of this uh, adventuring is very much against Jake's will and very much uh against his better judgment yeah jake is again taking the tan- the stance of like eh, this is we shouldn't be doing this um which he does from time to time uh he's usually enthusiastic about adventuring but every once in a while he if he if it rubs in the wrong way he will certainly let you know and so but but finn is all on board and is is determined to help Susan Strong, his friend, and they head off to the the underworld where the Humans live, which is down in the sewers beneath the land of U. And you know, we know that now that there are sewers, that this was probably once uh, the sewers of some uh, city on Earth that uh, we had uh, sort of established in uh, from early episodes. That could Ooh be. Is- who is some sort of, or at least appears to be some sort of either alternate Earth or Earth of the distant, distant future uh, after a calamity of some kind. So if if U is in fact a post-apocalyptic Earth, what what impact does that have on uh, the whole Finn is dreaming theory? <sighs> so I think we've discussed this, and, or maybe I've discussed it in the treasure room, that like it, it poses two possibilities. Both are kind of dark. Um, one, yes, that Finn is dreaming a post-apocalyptic Earth because of some maybe major calamity in his own personal life, which is sad to think about. Um, if this is some sort of metaphor for a a personal calamity of of Finn's, yeah, definitely. Or that Finn has serv- Finn has survived a true cataclysm on earth and he is a um, he is a living member of future earth but is dreaming about his former family or something that was like pre-cataclysm like there's a few things like it could be that he that this is the earth that he knows and is he's just asleep and dreaming it and he's part of this or that he is uh dreaming up an imaginary physical apocalypse because of a emotional apocalypse that occurred in his his life so he's either dreaming about a post-apocalyptic future or his post-apocalyptic presence. Present. Correct. Yeah, and both are dark. I didn't. I mean, yeah. I don't know. And and here's where we get to the point, really, where I think that the dream theory becomes unfalsifiable, because obviously he could always be dreaming it. What 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 are you thinking in terms of that? Are are we still thinking that 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 Finn is is dreaming? I know how he could be, but what what's your feeling? So it it makes me mm, it may I like the story better that it's not a dream frankly. I like the story better that it is that this is that Finn is uh living in a post-apocalyptic earth 
and it is all real because I think that's actually more interesting. Yeah. Um, and and less dark that like an eleven year old is imagining <laughs> right. the end the end of the world. Um, Multiple zombie dreams. <laughs> yeah, like on his own, you know, like he's all coming up with this on his own. Like that seems like a story that is much different. So, <laughs> so I will still say that like I think it's still fun to think of it, like and to kind of think about yeah. how it could impact uh, a bit of a dream metaverse. But, um, but yeah, like the the idea that like this is poke up, like this is a uh, post apocalyptic Earth. Um, makes makes more sense as just like it is what it is and it isn't there's no second layer yeah we are kind of gathering evidence of that so yeah they head down into the sewers with susan strong to go on the quest that she insists they must in order to save her people right and she says that they need to she will take them to i don't even know if she calls it a lost city or where she tells them that they're gonna go she says we used to live in butopia butopia uh, which is a portmanteau of beautiful and utopia. And the uh, Finn is all on board and Jake is not. Jake thinks this is doesn't that this is unnecessary. Um, doesn't want to go. And he also thinks that Susan is crazy and makes some right. I don't particularly care for that word. I think it's stigmatizing, but he does make some really good Susan is crazy jokes. Right. Um so Susan, though, urges them onward. Um, it's going to require a raft ride down the sewer water p- uh, pipes to this uh, former uh, city of the Humans. And she warns them, though, that is this, this city has been overrun and they were driven out by uh, uh, how, Uglugs. Is that the word? Lublubs, I think. L- Lublugs or something like that. Um, some menace. That they have named the Lublubs, and that they have to pass through several uh, challenges and sort of t- tests or, or gates to get there. But Susan knows the way, and she will get them there. But that she needs Finn's uh, hero heart and the and the red fire to defeat the Lublubs, right, and restore the rightful home of the Humans. They are off on their journey, heading down the sewer river on the uh, raft made by Susan Strong. And they <laughs> they get to, I think, uh, they get to a gate. Uh, I can't remember. They're the smashing gates or something like that. They are. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a test of their, of their navigational skill, but it's the sort of like um, smashing. If you remember like Mario. Yes, I, it's very, very video game. It's video game. Uh, so you, if you remember, like a Mario level where the the big blocks fall from the ceiling, and I can't remember the name of the blocks, but they do have a name, mm-hmm. um, and they're all in sequence, and you have to time your run to go through these like dropping bricks and avoid getting smashed, and you have to do it in a way where you like get through, and sometimes you have to pause, and you know time each move yeah you just have to do it exactly the right moment so that you don't get smushed and that's what uh susan seems to uh have already gathered the knowledge to be able to do that right uh so she says don't worry i know exactly when to go and so they wait for the exact right moment and susan says let's go and they proceed through and they get all the way through and they get clipped kind of on the end. The final smashing gate does clip their raft and throws them forward, but they do make it through. And then Susan says uh, some gives a good joke line of like, <laughs> oh, 
we've got some of our boat left. Yeah, that's, oh, good. We still have half a boat. <laughs> that, that, like as if like that's different. Yeah. Uh, usually that doesn't happen. So uh, so they do make it through, and now they've made it into um, Lublub territory, I right. guess. And they see one. She says, uh, at this point, Susan says, oh, be very quiet because there's one of the Lublubs. And they look, and it's a pool floaty floating in the river. And Jake sees this as total confirmation that Susan is full of baloney right. about this whole scenario. Um, but Susan and Finn tell him to be quiet. And he sort of is, like, just out of respect for Finn, maybe. And they just sort of float quietly past this pool floaty, and, and they keep continuing onward. You know what I wish the pool floaty had been, though, instead? What? Flart. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it would have been certainly more, uh, beautiful to look at. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know this word that Pat seemingly made up, um, pool flarts was an idea that, uh, <laughs> that it was a business idea that my mother came up with at one point. It's a portmanteau again, uh, since we, this is the second one of the episode here, um, of, of floating art. And, uh, she thinks. Still does actually. I think if you, I think if you wanted to invest in the idea, she'd still go for it. Um, that there isn't enough pool floats in the world that are beautiful. There's a lot of goofy pool floats, but there aren't enough sort of what you would call like artistic or um, classy pool floats. And so she was going to start a business making pool flarts <laughs> that uh, were, um, you know. I'm trying to think of what an example would be. So there's sort of like a classic, like there's some pool floats that were, are, they look like slices of citrus and mm. like those sort of float in your pool it makes it look like a nice cocktail kind of thing. Like that's kind of a look. <laughs> but I think the idea here was also that like it would be like even like literal works of art that would be floating in your pool. So imagine, um, you know, Starry Night by Van Gogh or something like that on a pool float. Um, and, you know, that would just be classy floating in there instead of like a goofy duck or something like that. Um, and I don't know. I don't know that there I've, I don't I don't think I could come up with any more examples, but I think those was sort of the vein. It was the idea that like as you're flying overhead a pool <laughs> and you look down and you go like that is nice to look at. Like that is just beautiful. Like that's, that's sort of that's the aesthetic. That, that's the, the aesthetic. The word did not match <laughs> the aesthetic she was going for, I don't think. But it certainly would have been memorable. Like, poolflarts.com is a website <laughs> you don't quickly forget the name of. And it's also one you don't want to mistype, I don't think. I don't think so either. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, it's dangerously close to some other stuff. So, anyway. Hey, um, you know, so, so a word like flart, how many of those do you think that we'd have to come up with in one episode before we reach the Portman totality? Uh, I don't know. I don't want to think about it. And that, that's, that was terrible. Uh, I mean, terrible in the sense that I loved it. So thank you. <laughs> All right. So they have reached Butopia. They've made it past the one Lublub. And then they see more once they actually get to this abandoned underground city. Right. They get to the underground city and they are close. And the underground city... I think we get a quick pan over it. It's a it's a sunken mall. It's a shopping yeah, mall. Yeah, it looks like a shopping mall. 
Yeah, it's something. It's a mall that has fallen into the earth and fallen beneath the earth, I suppose, and or covered up or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, it's this. I think that that is a funny joke, like that the uh, sort of ancient birthright home of the humans is a shopping mall. I think that's yeah. a nice. I think that's a fun <laughs> joke. Um, but the, the anti-capitalist messages just keep coming from this show. <laughs> yes, they do. Um, so the uh, they are close to their goal, and the goal is that there is she uh, Susan calls it the heart of the city. It's a giant tower that seems to be part of like the heating system or the old heating system of this mall, uh, or, or like a gas line basically. And right. there's there's like a big tower in the middle of the city. It basically looks like an Olympic torch kind of thing, like where like you would light the Olympic flame, except sort of more industrial and. And she basically says, like, we need to take the red flower up there. We need to light the light. We need to light the fire in the heart of the city again in order to drive out the Lublubs. Because what do the Lublubs turn out to be? The Lublubs turn out to be like shadow beings. Um, they are like kind of like an anglerfish. They show up with an outward appearance as like a pool float floating in the water. But as you know, as soon as Jake who is still skeptical of their of their like deadliness just <laughs> walks over to one turns his hand into a pickaxe and pops one <laughs> and uh and as soon as it pops though it expands and turns into a horrifying shadow monster that right, is with, uh, bent, arms bent and lots of teeth and yeah bent bent and with clearly bent on like eating flesh and uh, and it's so then clear how it's clear how and why they drove the humans out of uh, Utopia, right? And they are uh, they are horrifying, and it it sends Susan Strong the sight of them all showing up to to defend their city and to sort of attack them. It sends her into a state of sort of uh, uh, of petrified panic, um, and Finn and Jake are left to try to like defend her, but they quickly become overwhelmed, and Susan is has to find her courage in order to sort of save the day. Um, and I think that's a cool moment where Susan, Susan says, Susan's scared, but Susan is also brave. Mm-hmm. And, and she, then she shouts her own name, uh, in a war cry, Susan, and charges <laughs> at the love loves. And she takes a cute, takes a few down. Um, she, she's carrying, she's, she's hot potatoing the, the, the lantern with the, with the, fire in it and they do a bit of uh they do a bit of hot potato with it as susan gets um tackled by the love loves she tosses the flame to jake who catches it and at that point uh jake and finn have to come up with a plan and finn said they, they the basic plan is finn will distract and take on the the love loves while jake stretches his body up to the top of the tower to light the torch to light the heart of the city and uh and they go for it finn goes to defer i think jake says go defend fair susan is the line and so finn goes and takes on the lublubs releases susan who's then able to fight as well jake starts heading his way up to this up to the top of this torch he is pursued by one of the larger lublubs yeah, one of the more threatening ones yeah and just before he's able to toss the fire in uh 
is held up by one. And <laughs> to be fair, it's entirely Jake's fault because he reaches the top of the tower well before the villain does. And uh, he sees it's literally labeled like light fire here. And so he goes, yeah. uh, oh, I guess I just toss it in here. Okay. One, two, yeah. three, four. And I think he's at about four when the Lub Lub grabs his hand. And so now he's in a battle to light the torch. Yeah. And he says something cryptic that they kind of like a throwaway line. And I don't know if this is meant to just be a throwaway line or if it's going to be something that we see later. But he says uh, he sees this monster with a bunch of chomping mouths, uh, the shadow beast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, he's, and he says, like, this reminds me of my mother. <laughs> I think that he was just making jokes. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. He says that he sees something else that reminds him of his father, too, during the episode. I'm not oh, sure okay. what he's up to. So he, uh, but he ends up uh, overcoming the monster. He tosses the fire in. I can't remember if that's just like he just does it or if he needs help to do it. No, he just tosses the lantern into the little uh, kindling thing, tinder. Thing. Yeah, and it uh, it immediately lights, and it's sort of like one of those ancient temple kind of things where you light like one thing, and all of a sudden, like torches all over the room ignite as well. Like yes. you light you light the oil reservoir and all of a sudden all the torches light up same kind of deal apparently there's just like gas continually flowing through this town and they uh he lights the pilot light basically and all of the other torches explode in flame around the city and the giant blast of light and heat um disintegrates the lublubs they cannot hold form in the presence of intense light and their shadow forms disintegrate and they die i guess um they, they're gone for sure yeah, and Butopia is restored to its rightful owners. Indeed, yeah. They, uh, the, we kind of transition quickly to the next scene, which is all of the humans moving back in to their former home. And Susan is thanking Finn and Jake, and Susan asks Finn to stay. And Finn says, you know, uh, I'm not one of you. Like, you know, it's been established that while the humans look like Finn, like their face is human, um, they have fish gills and heads. Um, and so they are certainly a different species or a different, uh, at least a different variant of a species than Finn. Um, Finn does not have these uh, appendages. And Susan discovers this for the first time in this episode, I think. She, <laughs> she pu pushes his head underwater, and then when Jake pulls him out, he takes off his hat, and Susan is puzzled at his lack of gills. Right. Uh, and maybe even a little uh, attracted to his amazing mane of golden hair as well, right. perhaps. But uh, Finn, you know, tries to explain to Susan, like, you know, I'm not like you. I can't stay here. And it's at this point that Susan takes Finn's hand, places it underneath her own cowl, her, her hat, puts it like sort of on her neck where like gills would be. We don't see the hand. We just see, we don't see what he's feeling, but he's, cause his hand's just under the hat, the cowl. Um, and his eyes get all big and surprised. And he says, like, Susan. And then, at the, you know, then she takes his hand away and he still leaves, but he is looking back at her in a way that is, um, confused, but, you know, he's trying to figure something out basically, but he still leaves. It's not, he's, this is not his place to stay. Um, but he's learned, he's learned yeah, that, something that's for sure. Right. Throughout the episode, it's kind of a big deal made of, you know, these are not Finn's people. And he definitely says that when he says that he can't stay, but, uh, the implication 
anyway is that maybe Finn has found one of his people yeah. here. And that is a enormous implication, I think. Right. So this whole episode, I think the point of it is world building, right? Like this yep. it's a it's a really classic like fantasy kind of adventure where like, hey, this this you've be you befriended a tribe earlier and now we're gonna bring them back and now the same tribe needs your help. Um and by doing so, you learn something about the world you live in. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's a very cool uh, storyline that they do here. And really, that is, I think, the point of the episode is to expand our understanding of Ooh and our understanding of the inhabitants of Ooh and like, and Finn's, and specifically Finn's origins. Like, what, what can we learn about this? Well, we learn maybe that uh, Finn is more similar to these humans than, or humans than, uh, we originally thought. And what does that mean? Uh, does that mean that he is a lost member of their tribe or a lost member of a similar tribe or something like that? Does that mean that there is a tribe out there for Finn somewhere? Or is he truly alone? Or, you know, is his tribe truly like Jake? Like, what what does that mean for his family, basically? Um, right. So I think very cool. Very all open-ended. Nothing is answered in this episode, but a very cool way of just like expanding that universe yes absolutely it it certainly um it, it's got a lot of huge implications for finn to be sure you know he's finn the human and i think it's been at least implied that he's the last human or the only human uh but he appears to have made a discovery that could change all of that right and that's where the episode closes yeah. we just sort of get that hint and then we're left to think about it so I think you pretty much already said what you think, but uh, you know, for for me, it's 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 huge. I mean, there may be another human living not on U, I suppose, but under U, accessible to Finn. Right, and then what does that mean? Does he have a you know all those? If that is true, does he have a responsibility to his own species to like live like as a tribe with that person or not? You know, he's right. got his own family and that he's established with Jake and. And the world that he lives in. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It's kind of interesting, actually, because, you know, if, if you think of this in, like, sort of colonialist terms, Finn ha- is the one who seems to have, quote-unquote, gone native, right? He's living in this new world by himself with the new inhabitants. Uh, but it's actually Finn's life that is the more, what we would traditionally call civilized life. He's got a house and fire and everything. He's not living in the sewers like the uh, other halfway or partially humans that we see in ooh so that's kind of interesting yeah that the 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 you know the the white man who stays in the jungle winds up living a more white you know european life than those natives that uh you know are still part of the community that they have been for generations we assume yeah i mean i think that like in terms of world building in like a fantasy setting like if you think about like um lord of the rings or any of those fantasy genres like generally the world that you live in or the world that's presented to you is like only the most recent iteration like it's it's sitting on the layers of like their of the old worlds like that's why like magic exists or that's why these like magic items exist that you're going to go that, like you find in old temples and things. It's because, yeah. it's because there were previous civilizations that 
that were there before you. And I think that's... Yes, everything seems to be thousands of generations old. Right, exactly. So, I, th- I mean, I think that that's classic what they're doing here. They're building out this world in the sense that, like, the these humans represent some, like, maybe the last dying elements of of the old world, the old human world. And somehow, Finn is, like a part of that world or is descended from that world, but has somehow like found a foothold in the new world. And whether that, you know, it's, there's a lot of cool implications for that. And like, what does that mean about him? And like, uh, there's almost like an element of Futurama to it. I would say like, Oh, somehow, sure. Somehow he got like fast forwarded and like the old world died off, but he's now part of the new world. Um, very cool. Shout out to back to the Futurama. Indeed. I got to see uh, Ben and Mike from Back to the Futurama at PodCon, actually. Oh, sweet. Um, and yeah, so I thought, like, very cool. Like, these are very cool world-building techniques that they're taking full advantage of and makes you interested. It makes you want to learn more about Ooh. And I think, uh, and, uh, and you know, and the characters as well. So I think, like, this was a great episode for, for building out that um, desire to learn more. So I would say if I were going to rate these two episodes in terms of, like, delivering or... Uh, moving me along the fandom continuum, I would say that episode one was a neutral. It was just like a nice episode to watch. This one, sure. um, this one made you go like, "Oh, cool!" Like, I wonder what else they have thought about in this world. Like, what else will unfold? So, in that sense, yeah, moves you forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we've had. There's been a couple episodes since I think I've felt like that. So cool to have. Cool to have one of those again. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of the more meaningful episodes that we've seen in a little while. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very good. Well, I uh, I think that pretty much sums up our, our thoughts on these two episodes. This is where we end the podcast by reminding you that you can rate and review us on whichever app you're using. You can talk to us on Twitter at PodVentureTime. You can join our Facebook group that's called PodVentureTime. And you can check in on Ben's metaverse theory in the Treehouse Treasure Room, our discussion group that we have on Facebook. Even though that may be collapsing in upon itself as we speak, who knows? <laughs> Well, hey, even if it's not falsifiable, it can still be fun. Yeah, it's true. That's a. Can we make a T-shirt that says that? That's great. Yeah, and then we'll sell it to Big Bang Theory or something. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, um, we're gonna get yeah. rich. I hope that I, I hope that we do see you out there in the internet verse. Uh, we love to interact with everybody who's listening to the show and hearing what you think about like our ramblings as well as your own theories around like uh, how episodes have changed your fandom things like that. So please do uh, hit us up. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you as always to Will Yates for providing our intro and outro music. Will Yates is a friend of mine. He's a great electronic musician. If you go to willyates.bandcamp.com, you can pay what you want for the EP. I know the feeling, which is the one that our music is off of. And there's also a new EP that you can download there as well. So go support Will. He gave us the music. He's a great dude and we want him to be able to make more music. Thank you very much, Will. All right. Well, I suppose that about wraps it up. So until we come back and watch two more episodes, I've been Pat. And I've been Ben. And this has been Podventure Time. Oh, I'm coming with you. If only to be disruptive and obnoxious! <laughs>